Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today I am very excited to be joined by David Peterson, president of the Language Creation Society and creator of the Dothraki language from Game of Thrones. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Great to be here. A little background for those who haven't watched Game of Thrones, because I think this is something that even those who aren't familiar with the franchise would find interesting. The Dothraki are a people. This is not the part they're going to find interesting. They're going to find what you talk about interesting. The Dothraki are a people. They're barbaric. They're horse worshippers. Would you say that's a fair description? Yeah, that sounds about right. And they're kind of off in their own corner of the world for most of the story, and they're speaking their own language, Dothraki. And it's usually subtitled unless you can tell what someone's saying just by the context. Uh, And David, you created that language. That's right. How did you get the opportunity to create the Dothraki language? Uh, Well, what happened was the producers of Game of Thrones uh, went to the Language Creation Society. Uh, At the time, there there was another president named Sai, and they said, we're looking for a language. We're looking for the Dothraki language for this show. And so what he did was he set up a kind of basically a competitive application process and advertised it, um, you know, all over the internet to all the various language creation communities. Just uh, those that, uh, there's a couple of forums online, there's a mailing list, there's also mailing lists uh, dedicated specifically to Tolkien's languages, specifically to Klingon, uh, and things like that. And he said, we need, um, really kind of in basic terms, because, you know, we were covered by an NDA, but he said, we need a language for a TV show, if you're interested, please apply. So then all of us signed our NDAs, discovered what the project was. Um, And then after that, it was like two months of basically creating what we thought the Dothraki language uh, should look like. Um, It was extremely intense. Can you talk a little bit about that process? How exactly was it run? Uh, It was a two round process, uh, a two round double blind process. So what happened was there were uh, reviewers that were also uh, well-respected conlangers uh, within the Whoa, 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 conlangers. What's a conlanger? Conlanger. Conlang is short for constructed language. And then a conlang is a constructed language. And a constructed language is what we call a, a created language. It kind of, uh, the term came up because uh, they needed a short word for an, uh, an email list serve. Um, and so they just shortened the word constructed language and created conlang at uh, lists.brown.edu or listserve.brown.edu. And that became the kind of first and oldest language creation community on the internet. Um, so anyway, that's what a conlanger is, and we kind of just, it's, it's our term now. It's the word for, for better or worse. Um, so we, it was a two-round process, and we had, as I said, some well-respected conlangers, language creators, as judges. And what happened was, um, for the first round, we basically, there, 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 there wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of rules. It was just, there was some, uh, kind of an idea of some of the types of things we would be translating. Um, and so we needed to give examples of that. And then any other information we wanted to give, um, as well as uh, signing an NDA saying that we would be willing to do blah, 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 and all this stuff. Um, and so there were about, uh, at one point, I think there were as many as 40 people interested that kind of got whittled down to around 30 that submitted an application for the first round. And that went to the reviewers who then came up with a series of, came up with five finalists. Um, and then after that, there was kind of, and that, that whole process lasted about a month. Then there was another month long process where the five finalists, and I was among those finalists, uh, went back and expanded on and revised everything that uh, that we had uh, 
partly based on the comments that we received from the reviewers. And then those five applications, or actually uh, four, uh, one of the five finalists dropped out. Um, those four applications were sent on to the producers, and they decided uh, which one to go with, and they decided on mine. So before we, I, I want to get back to Death Rocky, but it seems like before that, I've, I, how did you get involved in creating languages in the first place? All right. When I was in high school, uh, actually when I was a junior in high school, I kind of uh, woke up one morning. It was literally I woke up one morning, and I felt kind of uh, very ashamed and very upset that there were millions of people all over the world who could speak French and that I was not one of them. Um, and it just really kind of happened out of the blue. I, I felt like I was being left out. And so I decided then, I made it my goal to learn every single language on the face of the planet. Um, I, I didn't get too far with that, but uh, at, at that time I did start, I kind of had this desire to just start learning languages. So I started learning uh, French and Latin on my own, and I took uh, German in high school. In addition, I'd already been taking Spanish, and I already spoke Spanish. Um, and then when I got to college, I took um, Arabic and Russian and Esperanto. This was just in my first uh, my first year. You can speak all of these languages uh, to uh, varying degrees, indeed. <laughs> like uh, say. So we were opposite students. Foreign languages I always had difficulty with. I always, I could never get my mind around them. It was always my worst subject. But you just, uh, it seems like it, maybe it came naturally to you. Is that fair to say? Oh, no, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. And, and if anybody else is going to be going to college, pay heed to these words. This is the best part. Foreign languages, uh, at least, okay, admittedly, some people are going to be better than others. But honestly, foreign languages are a pretty easy A. And here's here's how it worked at, at Berkeley. Um, Foreign language classes were uh, mostly five days a week. Um, and so for them, you got five units. Uh, most like heavy hitting classes were four units, uh, some were even three. So you could actually fill up your um, non-major GPA with all of these units of A just by taking introductory language classes. Um, and you got to learn a language. It was like the best thing in the world. Uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I just uh, filled up on as many as I possibly could, and I didn't take as many as I wanted because I had two other majors that got in the way, but I tried my best to take as many as I could. And so, yeah, now I can, I can speak a little bit, um, to varying degrees with various languages. In Arabic, I can mainly say things like, um, which is, I feel lonely, or, which is, I am a translator at the United Nations. Um, these are kind of the basic things you learn, I guess, when you learn Arabic. What languages, if not you're fluent, like what languages could you travel to that country and not be totally lost in? What languages, I don't know, can you speak is the way to say it, but what languages are you at least competent Spanish. in? Spanish. <laughs> Just Spanish. And English, I mean, we're, we're doing that now. Theoretically, yeah. So yes, English and Spanish. Um, beyond that, uh, if I had a couple of weeks... I could get up to speed with uh, something like German um, and French pretty easily. Um, and I could, uh, and then maybe with like a month, I could get enough Arabic and Russian to kind of fly in there. But um, especially with Arabic, the thing is most of the time they teach you Quranic Arabic, which nobody speaks now. So speaking, learning to speak the Arabic that's actually spoken in any given country that you're going to be going to is really kind of like a whole different experience. So you, you got into learning languages, you found this passion for studying languages, learning them. When did you turn that corner and said, this isn't enough, I want to start creating them? Okay, so I think I probably initially got the idea 
uh, it was based on my experience with learning Esperanto. Esperanto was a created language that was created. A conlang. Yes, it is a conlang that was created in 1887 uh, to facilitate international communication. Um, and, you know, we still have that problem, but Esperanto is still around today, and there are people who speak it. It's, I think, by far the most successful uh, created language in history. So Esperanto was created as a, an artificial language explicitly for the idea of fostering communications between different countries, so we wouldn't all have to learn each other's language. We could all just learn Esperanto. That was the idea, yeah. Didn't go so well, but it is still around. It, it does have something of a legacy I know about. Yeah, it. and I think rather than, if you if you look at it from the point of view as it was supposed to solve the problem of international communication and foster in world peace, maybe, maybe it failed there, I, uh, you know perhaps. But if you just look at it as it's a language that people can learn and they can talk to each other in it and there's a, and maybe it fosters a community, I'd say it's been an, uh, a resounding success because the community still exists. Um, there are people that uh, speak to each other in Esperanto as basically their basic form of communication, even if they have another language. Um, so, you know, uh, and, and there, and uh, I know a bunch of Esperanto speakers and they're all quite happy with it, so. Have you ever seen the William Shatner movie that's in Esperanto? Because that's pretty much the main thing I know about the language is that William Shatner <laughs> once made a movie. I have it. never seen Incubus. I would like to see it one of these days. I hear it's awful, but not only that, I hear that the Esperanto is also bad. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's like they went to all the trouble of translating all the dialogue into Esperanto and wanted to use it, but I mean, it just, uh, Esperanto speakers can listen to it and kind of laugh at basically how bad it is. So I wonder if that was Shatner's fault. I, I well, probably. <laughs> so Esperanto inspired you to look into this world of constructed languages and kind of open your eyes to that? Well, this is how it worked. I was taking Esperanto, so I knew that people had created languages for international communication. And, and they, there had been several attempts in addition to Esperanto. Uh, I was also taking several other languages at the time, which I found quite interesting, especially Arabic, which I fell in love with. Um, and then I was also taking my very first linguistics class. Um, and I thought during one of my uh, linguistics classes, what if I created a language not for international communication, but for my own personal use, just for fun? Uh, and after I had that idea, I started immediately kind of scribbling notes in my notebook rather than listening to lecture. And um, I think the very first thing I started doing was creating a writing system that was largely influenced by Arabic's writing system, which I also just loved. Um, and so from there, I kind of actually thought at the time, and I did think for several weeks, that I was the first person to ever have hit on this idea that somebody could create a language just for fun. Um, it was then later that I discovered, you know, when I was doing a search on the internet, that I discovered the online conlanging community and discovered that, wow, not only have I, was I not the first one to come up with this idea, hundreds and thousands of people throughout history have also hit upon this idea and are doing it right now, <laughs> including Tolkien, which I didn't know at the time. I had no idea that Tolkien had invented languages. I knew what Lord of the Rings was. I knew what Tolkien was, but I didn't know that part. So Tolkien created Elvish. Is, what languages are there in Lord of the Rings besides Elvish? Okay, so Tolkien, what he did was created um, a language family. Uh, and so it's kind of like to say that you know he created the Elvish language. What he did was he created a what we call a proto language in linguistics. Um, to give you an example of what that is, Latin 
could be considered the proto-language for Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese. Um, it was basically the language that uh, those languages descended from Latin. So he created a proto-language, and from that evolved um, dozens of languages, some of which weren't really fleshed out. Uh, some of the most fleshed out ones are like uh, Cinderine and, and Quenya. Which is Elvish, I believe, correct? Yes, uh, and Quenya, which is a different type of Elvish. Uh, and uh, but then you. I feel like I just insulted the elves. Like when someone's just like, ah, that's just Chinese. When they see Asian writing, that I didn't know that there was different dialects of elf. It is extremely insulting <laughs> amongst <laughs> the right community. But no, no. no. But of course, that's. I, I'm sure they're used to it because that's what you get. Everybody asks, oh, Tolkien. So he invented Elvish, and then they all kind of roll their eyes to themselves and then say, well, actually, my mind. So it goes on like that. Do you know any Elvish? Do you know any Klingon? I know the word Ardalambion and I think Sindarin because that's the name of the primary Tolkien language site. So did you ever try learning those? Uh, no. Uh, I, and and I, also, I also didn't know that Klingon was a language either um, for, for some time. Um, I, I, uh, somehow this had just missed me. What kind of nerd are you? You didn't know Klingon was a language. I, exactly. No, I came to nerdhood very late, as it were. Uh, but uh, but then you, then you fully embraced yeah, it. Yeah, I kind of I kind of just fell right in, and I've been falling ever since. I haven't hit bottom yet. What is the Language Creation Society? Uh, the Language Creation Society is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization that's dedicated to kind of two purposes. Uh, one to promoting. Um, conlanging, just to let people in the outside world know, hey, this thing exists and it's pretty cool. Um, and then also to serving the language creation community that exists. Uh, so like, for example, we have a, a free hosting thing from Dream Package. I'm sorry, free hosting package from Dream Host. And so we give uh, free web space to community projects um, that are of interest to the conlanging community. And so we kind of uh, do those two things mainly. All right, let's get back into Game of Thrones. So you're creating Dothraki, you're writing a language. How do you even begin to create a language? Are you just like, I don't know, dog. I, I guess that's Blocka. All right, now what's cat? <laughs> some of it, uh, sometimes some of it is actually that way. All right, it's kind of two different questions. First, how I began the Dothraki language and how one begins a language. All right, so let's take it generally first. Okay. Then we're really going to get into Game of Thrones, though. Generally, how does one, what are like the first steps? Where do you start? Okay, well, uh, the important thing to take away is that different people do things differently. Um, I do things in a particular way that I think also uh, other people do, a, a lot of conlingers do, which is uh, generally first, before you get into any of it, you have to have some idea or some goal of like, why am I doing this? Uh, especially at the point where uh, where we're at now, where everybody knows about language creation and, and things like that, you, you have to have some sort of an idea of what you want to accomplish with this language. Maybe you want to employ an interesting conjugation system that you know you saw like half of in, in one language or, or an interesting declension pattern um, or, or maybe uh, an interesting phonological phenomenon. So you get those goals in mind first. Uh, and then what I do is I work on the sound system first and I kind of get that set. Uh, then I move on to morphology, which are things like inflectional affixes on verbs or nouns, um, and then kind of go back and forth between that and the phonology. Then I uh, usually move on to uh, other more sentential elements 
uh, adverbs, uh, ad positions, things like that. And then you kind of get to the lexicon, and the lexicon is the fun part where you spend years taking it from one word to thousands of words. So before you start defining the words, you got to take a step back and be like, how do how do these all fit together? What kind of I don't know pieces of words do they use? Yeah, and so and to give a, a very small example that I think English speakers will be familiar with, um, just think about plurals in nouns. So in English, we have one basic pluralization pattern. So you have cat, cats, or dogs, dog, or dog, dogs, bush, bushes. That's the simple one. But then we have a whole bunch of other stuff that comes into play, like goose, geese, ox, oxen, fish, fish, uh, cactus, cacti. Um, and and even with like something like octopus, where you have octopus, octopuses, but then some people say octopi, and this crazy one, octopodes from Greek. Um, so inventing a, a, a kind of a small corner like that, you kind of start with one uh, word type, you know, a noun or a verb, and think, what are the possibilities here? What do I want to do? And then how can I do it? Uh, so in Arabic, for example, it's not just a matter of singular and plural for nouns. There's also a dual. So you have a special suffix that you add to a noun to mean two of something. So uh, one book is kitab. Uh, many books, three or more books, is kutub. But exactly two books is kitaban. And, you know, it's just kind of a different way of doing things. Uh, and so those are kind of like all the questions you have to think about as you approach your own language. So how do you answer those questions? So like, for, let's take the Dothraki, for example. How did you, uh, what were your goals in creating the Dothraki language? Okay, first, my major goal was um, the, the Dothraki language as it existed before, you know, I added all the stuff to it. Because it, you, your work is based on what was in the original books that the HBO show is based right. on. So uh, the only uh, extant Dothraki that was in there was from uh, mainly books one through three of A Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. And I feel like we should explain that A Song of Ice and Fire was the name of the book series that Game of Thrones is based on. They renamed the TV show Game of Thrones, but the book is the Song of Ice and Fire series. Yes. Okay. All right. We're all on the same page now. Keep going. <laughs> all right. So there were uh, a whole bunch of words and names in these books that were from the Dothraki language. Uh, which in the real world at the time didn't actually exist, but in the fictional world does exist as a full language. So what that means is that all of the words that are in there are representatives from this fictional language, which I now have to create in the real world. So my top number one overall goal was to make it so that the language would look to the fans of the book series like it made sense with everything that was already in there. Um, that it looked like the words that were in there could have been plucked from the language I created. Um, and so in order to do that, first I had to kind of analyze everything that was in the books. Um, and so I, we got together a list. It was uh, Jim Henry, he's a fantastic conlanger. He was the one who actually came up with the list of every word, phrase, and name that is used, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's of Dothraki origin that's used in the books. How many words were there? What were you working with here? Uh, it actually wasn't very many. It was like 30 or so. Most of them were names. Uh, but even so, names tell you something a little bit about structure, at least the structure of names, and they also tell you about the sound system of the language. So um, what I first had to do was look at those words as they're spelled in the Roman alphabet in the books and decide, uh, and, and actually this is what I did. Uh, there was kind of a two a two-pronged thing here. First, how did I think George R. R. Martin um, imagined that these were pronounced? 
and how would the average English speaker reading these books, since the books were written originally in English, how would they imagine that they were pronounced? Um, once I came up with that analysis, then it was a matter of extrapolating from that what the sound system was or and what the sound system could be. Uh, and then kind of when I had that settled down, I went back and looked at the few phrases that there were and tried to analyze, okay, what is the structure here? What could the structure be? Uh, kind of like, what could I get away with changing and what would make absolutely no sense um, to change? Uh, and so that was kind of like how I, how I approached it. Um, another goal that I had in mind uh, when also creating words and creating things like that was I didn't want it to be uh, too difficult for the actors to pronounce um, and to kind of get a hold of. And so one of the things I thought that would be difficult was a lot of stem internal changes. Uh, You're going to have to explain what that and means. And I will. Um, so uh, one, one example of a stem internal change, the singular uh, for you know something you stab somebody with in English is knife. The plural is knives. So the F becomes a V. And that's kind of a stem internal change because if you just look... Okay, I yeah. get it. I, I get what that means, yeah. So you, you look at it and you think it should be knives, like uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, which drives me crazy, by the way. I, I say Maple Leafs in my own private bedroom. But anyway, so uh, I decided that that would be a little bit too difficult, so I thought that's not where the complexity of the language should be. Um, and, and also, I was thinking of also... I'm sorry, I was also thinking of potential fans of the language and what areas could be complex without putting people off and what areas uh, could be complex without putting people off. Um, and so I kind of like kept that all in mind as I was designing both the, the sound system and the language system. I love that you had the fanboys who were going to take the next step and really learn the language in mind when you were creating it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's such a huge following just for the book series. And then, yeah, and it's it's only it's exploded. I mean, I wasn't really a fan of this. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm guarding it with a really. I I had no idea. I, I was not a fan of the series at all uh, before the TV show came out. Were you Were you familiar with the books when this assignment was uh, proposed? I was familiar. I hadn't read them yet, but uh, it's kind of like my 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 wife um, who's down there listening right now and being very quiet. Uh, she was a huge uh, fan of uh, science fiction and fantasy, and she had read the series and then also. Anytime that, basically, if you if you read uh, fantasy, you know who George R. R. Martin is, and you know what A Song of Ice and Fire is. It's really huge. You mentioned that you weren't sure how George R. R. Martin pronounced some of the words. Did you ever get a chance to ask him? Have you spoken to him about the language that you created? Oh yeah, no. In fact, uh, you can't uh, you can't help but notice the differences anytime he says the word Dothraki, for example. Uh, this was something that I learned the first time uh, the first time I met him in fact, which is at a signing that uh, a signing and a reading that he did in San Diego um, which is where you are right uh, I was I'm now in Orange County okay behind the orange curtain so um, the first thing I, I noticed about him because he you know he talked to me he says he says he said to me in pretty much like this ah so you're the Dothraki guy so, oh, what? interesting. <laughs> and then, is that after you created the language? Oh, yeah. No. So all the work's been done, and you, you don't – even the name of the language is not correct or not what he had imagined. <laughs> Apparently not. I think he might – And this is this before the TV show started filming, before it aired? Uh, you know, I'd have to think about that. I uh, 
I can't remember. No, I don't think it was before it had filmed anything. I think they had filmed a little bit. Um, but I think he might be like one of the only people on the planet that pronounces it that way. <laughs> yeah, I never even considered. I thought maybe kind of throw a little little fanciness into the R, like Dothraki, like you know, because there's that apostrophe there. I considered that. It seemed a little. It seemed just a, a little a little salty for me. <laughs> But uh, Dothraki, I never even considered. Yeah, and he consistently pronounces it that way. But um, one, even still, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, still, absolutely. Because it's Dothraki on the TV show. It, it right? is no, but he he still says Dothraki. Um, but uh, one of the one of the great things about George R. R. Martin is he's um, invented. Uh, it's kind of hard to distinguish in between these two, but he's invented a lot of fictional languages within the series. They're not actually languages, but they exist. Uh, as in the fictional universe, right? And there are a lot of fictional uh, cultures and peoples that he's invented and included with that are a whole bunch of different kinds of names. But he's actually stated several times, uh, he, it because it, it, everybody's always coming to him, how do you pronounce this name? How do you pronounce this name? Even if you look at some of the ordinary uh, names from Westeros. Yeah, they all, they all have a weird twist, like Edder. Yeah. In, as opposed to Edward, or uh, and, he, he just can't have a normal name. Right, and Peter with a Y instead of an E. Um, and so everybody was always coming to him saying, how do you pronounce these things? Uh, and he's always said, it doesn't matter to me how the fans pronounce any of the names or the words that appear in the series. Uh, what I consider is important is, you know, the story, the character development, pronounce the names how you want. So um, That's interesting. And we've talked about this before on this show, how, like, when I first read the Harry Potter books before the movie came out, I was just like, Hermione did this, Hermione did that. I, I didn't even consider Hermione. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, that, that always happens. You know, then that would happen to me, especially before I took uh, Russian when I was reading Russian books. I would often see a name and said, and just kind of like say in my head, oh, the name that starts with R. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to oh, try to yeah, pronounce yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do that a lot, sure. <laughs> Is there anything about the Dothraki culture that George R. R. Martin created that informed the way you put the language together? Oh, absolutely. Language and culture go hand in hand. One can't really do without the other. Uh, I mean, so one way, one approach that could have been taken, uh, that, that somebody could have taken with this language is first taken all the extant vocabulary and make, made sure that that was in the language. Uh, but then just using kind of a, a kind of like a, an algorithm or a program to basically generate a whole bunch, like thousands and thousands of words of vocabulary. So it's like, you know, just with the English dictionary, for example. So it'll become like the word for this is now this, the word for this is that uh, right on down the line. Um, you know, and there are, I, I, there are certain extents to which you know it might be useful to do that. Um, one of the things that I find useful to automate myself are um, sound changes uh, that occur over thousands of years to make sure that you're not making any mistakes. Um, but uh, if you do it that way, you end up inadvertently borrowing in a lot of culture that's unintended, and you end up um, making a lot of assumptions in the language that perhaps uh, one shouldn't make. So, for example, uh, if one were to ask me what the word for book is in Dothraki, I would say there is no word for book as of yet. And the reason is culturally dependent. It's mentioned specifically in the books that the Dothraki have no written form for their language. It's just a spoken language. Uh, they don't have writing themselves. Uh, if you just coin a word for book and say this is the Dothraki word for book, and it goes back to who knows how many years. It implies first that the Dothraki have some sort of printing process. 
they have some sort of regular interaction with books and value them to a certain extent that they would produce them. Uh, it implies that perhaps they have some form of writing, something to put inside of books. Uh, it implies that they have invented paper or something close to paper that you could include inside of books, that, that perhaps there's scholarship, that there's publishing. It, it brings along with it all of this cultural baggage that is just automatically assumed simply by coining a word for book. And so all of that you have to absolutely keep in mind when coining words for a language. So, you know, as a result, there's no word for book in Dothraki. There's no word for cell phone tower. There's no word for redistricting and things like that. It's kind of like how the Spanish don't have a word for hockey. <laughs> I actually noticed this because I was watching uh, some Dothraki scenes to prepare for this interview, and there's one scene uh, where Cal Drogo is talking, and he refers to the uh, the getting becoming the king in the world of Game of Thrones. A lot of people refer to it as the Iron Throne. You sit upon the Iron Throne. And I noticed that uh, Cal Drogo, who is a leader of the Dothraki, I'm like... I don't even. Want, I, he's, not, he's not a leader. He's a cow. I don't. I can't right. really get into it right now. But while he's describing becoming their leader, he says he wants to sit upon the iron chair as opposed to the iron throne. And I was wondering if that was a deliberate decision. Yeah, absolutely. There's no. I mean, the very idea of a throne and having a special word for it indicates, first of all, that there is an entire tradition of, first of all, a particular type of leadership, usually located within a single place, right? which is not the case with, uh, with a Hakal from uh, the Dothraki. They, you know, they ride around, they're nomadic, they come back to a city, but it's not like any of the Hakals go there and sit upon some throne and say, I am the leader of all the Dothraki. It just doesn't make sense. Um, but, but then uh, not only that, uh, it's a particular, the reason that they have this distinction is because it's a very special kind of chair that's, you know, very ornate, very fancy, or melted down from the swords of enemies, as the case with the, is with the Iron Throne. Um, and so it just wouldn't make any sense to have some sort of equivalent term like that in Dothraki. They have seats, though, and so that's what you get. The word, essentially, that they use for seat or chair is the same word for throne, because there's not really any distinction. Are there any ex other examples of that from the TV show that you can think of, places where you had to hold back and think, you know, they don't have a word for this? Uh, well, actually, one early thing was, and I think this was actually from the pilot initially, I, I got a request, um, and they were saying, because uh, one of the things that the Dothraki do is they, uh, the Dothraki men, is they kind of uh, gamble based on, you know, guys fighting each other or whose horse can race the fastest or things like that. It's kind of a leisure activity. Um, and so one of the initial requests I got was, um, can you translate, like, uh, I, I bet you I bet you three gold coins that he will win or something like that. And so I looked at that and I thought about it and I emailed him back and I said, I, I don't, I think we might have to rethink this because uh, one of the issues with the Dothraki is that they don't participate in trade at all. Yeah, they don't really seem to have an economy. Yeah, they don't have money. Basically, what they do is they go around en masse to the various uh, cities that dot the Dothraki Sea, and they take what they want, and if they respect somebody, they give them a gift. But um, it's not the case that they're trading for it, and they certainly wouldn't have any use for something like money. Uh, and so the, the entire concept didn't really make sense. And so then, um, you know, when I said that, they said, oh, right, of course, that makes sense. And we just kind of recast that. Uh, and I translated something different that ultimately I, I don't think it actually made it in. It might have been in the post-production somewhere. 
uh, you might hear in the background. Did you ever talk to any of the actors who speak Dothraki, uh, like Jason Momoa? I hope I'm saying that word right. It's an English word. Uh, who he was Cal Drogo, or there was Amelia Clark who was Daenerys. Did you ever work with them at all? It's Momoa is a Hawaiian word. Oh, so I can't, not my fault. <laughs> but, uh, no, actually, I still haven't spoken to any of them, but uh, it's kind of the wonders of the Internet age. I, uh, you know, Have you communicated with them? Uh, well, in a, in a, in a, in a one-way sort of uh, fashion. I, That's more of the wonders of, like, TV production than the Internet. <laughs> well, but, but those guys, uh, they're, they're both, I think, two, first of all, the show is full of great performances. Yeah. It won, uh, Peter Dinklage obviously won an Emmy, right. but everyone is great on that show. And I think uh, those two particularly had were were incredible throughout the season, speaking this often, speaking this completely made up language. Well, I, I recorded every single line. Uh, oh, interesting. In so they heard. So they learned it phonetically. Yeah. Jason Momoa doesn't speak Dothraki. Yeah. I, well, he, he probably has learned some stuff uh, since then, because you know you can look at the lines and look at the MP3 and figure some stuff out. Uh, I mean, the, the scene, well, that's because he puts like an inflection in it. It's really it's like, it's so, it's, I mean, the scene, uh, which I think is actually the scene with where he talks about the iron chair. I don't want to get too spoilery because so thus far we've avoided right. it. But uh, it's Cal Drogo has this big monologue. It's towards the end of the season where he's, I don't think it's too spoilery to say he's talking about war. Right. And it's like a 90 second monologue in this completely made up language that you created. And I think it's one of the best scenes Dude. of the first season of that show. Uh, he blew the doors off with that performance. Um, <laughs> and I was, uh, I was really interested in what was gonna happen with that specifically, because first I knew it was coming, because by, uh, you know, by the time that I had, by the time I was actually working on the show, I'd read all the books. Um, so I knew that this speech was coming. In, uh, in the books, it's in English, because you, know, you can only demand so much from a reader. Um, but, um, so I knew it was coming and then I, I got an email. It's like, okay, we, we've come to the, to the really big speech. This is what we have for it. Um, and we we're wondering if you could get to it earlier, you know, than I had been. Usually I had like a two week window to get stuff back because, uh, Jason wants to some time to move over. And so I, I thought, all right. So first I, I translated it and that was, you know, that was some work. Um, but then I got to recording it. Uh, and you know, I had been, I'd gotten pretty good at recording Dothraki up to this point. I kind of really developed my own way of, of speaking it. I was pretty good. Even that, like the first time through, and it's like, I get through the first sentence and I screw up and I'm like, this is going to take a while, isn't it? <laughs> and it took me about 45 minutes just to record the MP3 myself. And I, and I just thought to myself, he's going to have to do this basically live. <laughs> What is he going to do? And so I, I sent it on, and, uh, and in interviews, he, he talked about this. Uh, he says he got it, and so you can just look at the translation and see just a wall of text. And then you listen to the MP3, which itself is quite long. And so he says what he did was he just ordered a pizza and got himself some beer, went to his hotel room, and just spent the entire night memorizing and kind of uh, mimicking, reproducing it, just learning it. And then, of course, adding his own inflection, because that's what all the, the actors did. They had to, you know, learn the very basics of how it was pronounced. But then, you know, they had to add their own emotion, their own... This is them. exactly how I did my bar mitzvah portion. <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, no, I was just saying that I thought the, the result was incredible. Just incredible. I'm surprised he doesn't know the language, because in that scene, like, it feels like he does uh, in, in that performance. Yeah. And that seems almost like the starring scene. That's kind of your spotlight of the season, I think. 
because uh, there's a lot of Dothraki, but that's really where the Dothraki language is just like uh, a wall to wall, this really passionate scene. And, and that, that seems like the biggest scene for the language. Oh, man. And when I saw it thus far, yeah, when I saw it live, I was just smiling ear to ear. It's like, good God, it's awesome. <laughs> have you you've have you worked on season two of the show? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm done. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it starts airing in a month or two. Yeah. So you must be done with it. Yeah. I oh my god that's so exciting even though I know what happens because I've read the books and I'm not gonna talk about it but that's still uh, that's really exciting that you've worked on that and that's done are you thinking about season three at all uh, we will think about season three when we come to it I understand <laughs> it seems like this is so far like thinking about that scene it's so far past like going back to like I don't know the Twilight Zone which is a great show not to pick on it but when you have aliens that are just like meat mop meat little mop <laughs> and this is this is so far beyond that it's has this ever been done on a TV show before. There's Klingon, but I think Klingon was... Klingon was for the movies, yeah. Klingon was for the movies, yeah. But, but you know, actually, after the movies, because it was for the original Star Trek movies, right? You know, the ones with the original cast. Um, they did include it a lot in uh, in The Next Generation, and then also in, um, in bits and pieces in uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Um, That's true, but they already had it. The idea yeah. of starting a TV show... And creating a language for a TV show seems uh, maybe unprecedented. Do you know of anyone else that's done it? Actually, there are two examples that I can think of off the top of my head. There might be more, but the, like two actually fuller examples. One of them, and this one surprised me because when I was three and four years old, I watched this show religiously. There was a language in Land of the Lost. The original, like, 60s version? No, 80s version. Oh, like the newer one with, like, oh. I don't know, it had that great intro. Is that the newer one? <laughs> the one when I was three years well, old was the newer one? <laughs> I don't know. How old are you? I, I'm 31. Uh, I think the one when you were a kid, I mean, I think the other, the older one's been in reruns for a while. The older one is, like, almost on an empty stage. It's Sid and Marty Croft. It's crazy. The newer one, I think, is just kind of, like, I think it's more 90s-y. Uh, okay. not necess- maybe early 90s, but just like when I think about it, it's got like bad special effects. Yeah. And stuff. The 60s one's almost on like an empty stage. It's crazy. Okay, I uh, will need to look this up. It might not I- be 60s. It might be 70s. I'm not totally or sure. Or it might be late 70s, early 80s. We have to look this up. I'll look it up. I'll, I'll put it at the end of the show. Uh, I'll inform everyone what's correct. Anyway, so there was a language in some incarnation of this show. We're not going to say when yet, but at some incarnation of this show, yeah, that was yeah. before now, uh, there was a language that was created. Either way, it was like a kid yeah, show. Like no, it was like a, a Saturday show. morning type right. thing in either incarnation. It was called Pakuni, and it was created by Victoria Fromkin, who was a linguist. Uh, she's passed on now. She was a linguist at UCLA. Um, and they wanted her to create a language for this show for the, and you have to understand I was three and four at the time. I don't know the names of these people. I just saw it. Uh, but the, there were some sort of humanoid, bad humanoid people. It was for them or, or maybe it was like ape like people. Uh, anyway, was it the slee stack perhaps the, sl- the slee stacks? Yes. Thing. But they're like reptilian. Yeah. I think it was that it was called the Pakuni language. You can look it up. Uh, it was created by Victoria Fromkin. Then later, this was kind of, um, this was after X-Files, I believe. There was a short-run television show on NBC called Dark Skies. Uh, and for this, um, they actually uh, worked with um, uh, a, a language creator uh, named Matt Pearson, who was a student of Victoria Fromkin's at UCLA. He was a graduate student at the time. And they needed an alien language for that television show. It was called the Hive Language uh, for Dark Skies. Um, 
I think they produced an, a full season of it, but then the show was canceled and uh, nobody really remembers it. But um, it, yeah, it happened. Uh, and uh, and I happen to know Matt Pearson. He's created a, a tremendous language, uh, one of the best languages I think we have amongst the community called uh, now uh, Okuna. Um, and he's just, uh, and he's a really nice guy. I, I met him while I was up at Berkeley. So even if this isn't totally new that uh, you're, they're creating a language for show, I still get the sense that there's more of this going on. People are taking this more seriously. I know they're doing it uh, for John Carter of Mars. The Martians have a language. The aliens in Avatar have a language. It is, do you see that in the community? Are you seeing more people getting interested in it? Oh, yeah. The interest has just exploded. Um, and, and from all sorts of different sources uh, to the point where it's almost like we don't even really know how to deal with it. Before, I, I mean, even in the 90s, uh, when we were just, when people were kind of just discovering the internet, all the way up until like 2003 or four, uh, the language creation community was rather insular. I, I'd say as late as 2004, if there was somebody who created a language and they had something about it on the internet, I knew who they were, uh, oftentimes personally. Uh, and then it's like now it's just, it's exploded like the the learn the for Napi for the for avatar they have a community just a fan community just for the language that's over 5,000 people large wow <laughs> and, and, and these people aren't uh, most of them are not language creators some of them are but uh, most of them are not they're just people that are interested uh, and you know personally I think it's uh, I think it's a good step for uh, for things like television shows and things like movies because um, Having uh, having an authentic language uh, is it, it's different from just having a prop, because like you know for example in in Game of Thrones the the massive wall of ice uh, the Iron Throne those are those are fake in the sense that uh, if you've ever sat on the Iron Throne that's been traveling around you know it's kind of made out of uh, plastic or whatever it's not actually made out of hammered swords I mean be awful but it looks real on the show. Uh, the problem with a language, if it's going to be spoken on a television show or in a movie, um, the audience can actually take a hold of it, in a sense. It's like uh, all that a language is, is basically, you know, it's spoken or it's written form. So if you hear a language spoken, anybody can take it and deconstruct it and figure out, you know, is this authentic? Is this real? Is this work? Is this gibberish? And it's really easy to figure out. Well, you know, whereas for something like the Iron Throne or, or the Great Big Wall of Ice, if it looks good on the screen, that's the end of it. Okay, but let me ask you this. If the Dothraki speak Dothraki, how come everyone else in the magical kingdom of Westeros speaks English? <laughs> okay, so the Westerosi speak common, shall we say. And common is... Uh, in the fictional universe, yeah, it's supposed to be descended from, I think, uh, the old tongue. Uh, but uh, I think there was a point at which uh, George R. R. Martin just had to say, you know, put his foot down and say, these guys speak English. We're going to call it common, but it's English. Whereas, like, the other languages that exist even in the book series, it's the understanding is that he's translating for us. 
um, but they're actually speaking a different language and he's just translating. Or, you know, he'll just paraphrase and like, you know, he said blah, 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 blah in X language. As long as someone's thought about it, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I don't care exactly what the explanation is. I just want to know that someone was worried about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's one of those things where people that are interested in language, anytime they watch a movie or see a TV show or read a book where anything like this could happen, it always comes to mind. It's always like, well, why is it like that? And it's like, or how could that word possibly be descended in, from Latin, you know, in a world where Rome doesn't exist and so on. <laughs> I, I have to ask this. This is like my Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show t-shirt slogan this is my catchphrase. Is this your full-time job? Is this what you do? <laughs> uh, for the time being, it is. That's awesome. Very few people are able to turn their uh, passion into their job. So I think that's great. Yeah, and it is. Uh, it can be a lot of pressure sometimes, but it is just so much fun. There's, uh, To me, there's nothing more intellectually rigorous than creating a realistic, authentic language. Can I ask you to say some things in Dothraki? Yeah, sure. How would you say... My, that's a lovely dress in Dothraki. Are you kidding me? There's no word for dress in Dothraki. What would be the equivalent? How would they how would they handle that situation? <laughs> All right, you, give me a <laughs> give me give me a second to find the the word here that I that I want. What are you consulting right now? What are you typing? Ah, I'm, I'm consulting my personal dictionary here. Uh, okay. How do you keep that file? What do what do language creators use to keep a dictionary? Uh, everybody uses different things. Lots of people use like an Excel spreadsheet. I've never liked that. I, I've liked the look. I like something to look exactly like a dictionary. Uh, and so I use uh, a just basically, well, it's not a Word document per se because I use the Mac program Pages. So it's a Pages document. Um, and I actually, I printed it out once uh, at one point in time. So there exists a print Dothraki grammar over on my uh, shelf because I did an interview. Uh, I, I did a, a television kind of little documentary style interview for HBO um, and they were hoping to have a prop. And so I printed out my dictionary to that point and kind of bound it at staples. <laughs> so that was fun. Okay, so. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I think I want. And said only a banana and nouns, right? Sorry, there's a, but yeah, I think I got it here. <laughs> uh, so it, so that's a it kind of like this would be that's a, a lovely dress. It'd be a has hogar line. Interesting. Kind of still not really. Uh, doesn't sound very complimentary. <laughs> yeah, hogar uh, uh, is um, is actually. That's a there's a funny story behind that. So hogar is just a word that means your whatever you're wearing at the time. Uh, so you could translate it as garb, one's dress, one's suit or one's clothing if you know just one was wearing. So that's probably what you would use. Um, and this word comes from um, a friend of mine, uh, uh, John Moore. We had this uh, nickname for him in high school. We, we called him hugar from the Spanish verb hugar. Because, you know, he would, uh, he would come over to my house after school and say, uh, hey, guys, you want to hoogar some all basketball? <laughs> That's just, you know, just a joking way of saying you want to play some basketball. So I decided to drop his uh, his nickname in as a word. And so his <laughs> nickname became the word for, you know, garb or dress, because I happen to need a word for that at the time. Uh, I thought it was based on Hogar, the character who only speaks by saying his name, Hogar. Oh, <laughs> Hodor. That's Hodor. Hodor, Hodor. <laughs> 
Are there any other Easter eggs like that within the Dothraki language? Oh, sure. Like uh, the word for good and kind is the word. It's, it's my wife's name, Erin. So, Irin. Um, and then... Uh, there. I hope she's still listening. Oh, oh, oh she is. Yeah. And, I, and so I won't tell you about uh, the other ones. No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I, I actually, I also have a, a nickname for her. I, I call her Duck. And so the word for Duck in this is her middle name, um, Allegra, which is Allegra. Yeah. That's very sweet. <laughs> uh, and then there, I, 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 there, there are some other fun ones. I remember there was this kind of like fake feud going on between George R. R. Martin and the creator of Lost, uh, where George. Well, I can't, I can't get in the middle of that fight. <laughs> I don't want to take a side there. Yeah. Well, uh, just, just for fun, it gets all in the interest of fun. So I, I, the word, the, the root Lost, L-O-S-T, means disappointed. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I kick. I don't. If we start, if we start talking about Lost and the finale of Lost, we're gonna we're gonna be here all day. We can't do that. Yeah. We, yeah. Let's. Uh, let, let me run this one by you. How do, would you say one ring to rule them all? Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Give me a second. Sure. Oh crap! I looked up the word "govern," and of course, all I'm getting is all of these uh, grammatical things, like the you know the govern noun is in the nominative case, the govern noun is in the ablative case. Uh, oh my goodness! I don't think I have a a, a a word for to rule. It's kind of a strange concept. If you think about, um, or at least if you think about the the Dothraki, you know, in the way you know Khalasar is, they don't really rule per se. It's kind of like they direct. Uh, they. They drive. Oh, I got it. I got it. Hold on. I thought of a synonym. Okay. Uh, all right. Oh, oh, shoot. What's the word for one? <laughs> okay, I've forgotten the word for one. All right. I will. I will get this. I will tell you when I'm ready. Do you mind? Uh, this is amazing. Do you mind if I ask my, my t- people on Twitter? I'm, I'm just gonna say we're talking and ask them if they have any suggestions. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. Let's see what they come up with. Okay, got it. <laughs> uh, that's actually kind of an interesting construction. Uh, I didn't. I never thought of doing it this way. But uh, okay, one ring to rule them all. Wow! And so one nerd somewhere begins construction of the Elvish to Dothraki dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be fun. Oh man! So you know, it's it's one thing that you know, I think the only really real dictionary we have in print form, aside from Esperanto, is uh, is like uh, is Klingon. They, um, Mark Okren convinced them to put out a, a Klingon dictionary at one point. It would be wild, unbelievably imaginable to see a print dictionary from one conlang to another conlang. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there any talk about putting out a Dothraki dictionary? People can learn the language online. Uh, yes, they can. And I would say if there is interest um, in a Dothraki dictionary, I would certainly be available uh, to do so. It actually probably wouldn't be uh, that much work on my part. Um, so I, I think there's probably fan interest. Now all we need to do is convince, uh, it's to convince a publisher that there is, uh, you know, 
interest enough to warrant publishing a book. I think that would be nice myself. All right, I'm getting a ton of suggestions over Twitter. Okay. Here's a good one. Nintendo25 wants to know what you talking about, Willis. How would you say what you talking about, Willis, in, in Death Rocky? <laughs> Oh, for a minute. I... I'm assuming I'm assuming there's no Willis in the existing dictionary, so we might have to get creative. Here. No, and actually, that's that's a fun one because you can't begin a word with a W in Dothraki. Uh, so, but actually, you know, with any, with words that get borrowed in that start with a W, they just begin with an O. So, um, what? Okay, uh, about. Okay, okay, j just one second. I I can get this. I think it's Glissy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this is one of those interesting ones. <laughs> what makes this interesting? What made what makes this one interesting? What makes that last one interesting? Okay, so um, we in English we have kind of it's considered antiquated now, but let's say you wanted to. Uh, so we could say, you know, uh, you know, if we want to just break it down, you could say, what are you talking about, uh, Willis? But you could also say, about what are you talking, Willis? All right. Um, that <laughs> the, the thing that we can do in English that's so nice is we can strand prepositions at the end. So we can say, what are you talking about? Where are you going to? We don't have to say, to where are you going any longer. In Dothraki, what you actually do is you strand the preposition, but you put it in a special form. Um, so it'd be kind of like saying, um, I spoke there too, to, to stand for I spoke to him. So like uh, in, in the, the way that you would need to do this would be, what are you talking there about? However, this preposition is a newer preposition. It was derived very recently from another word meaning nearby. And so it doesn't have that special form. And so we have to translate it in kind of a roundabout way, which is, uh, is the nominative. All right, you ready? Yeah, hit me. All right, what you're talking about, Will, is, is uh, that's so much better than I thought it could possibly be. That was incredible. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That was another show from my childhood. I watched like every episode. <laughs> Here's a, a Game of Thrones themed one. Orange Tory asked, Winter is coming. How do you say winter is coming in Dothraki? A hiskejada. Uh, so that one exists. That we we already know. Oh yeah, I, of course you had to translate that one. That was that was one of the ones I translated myself. <laughs> All right, so this one could this one could be fun. Justin on Facebook, I spread this to Facebook too because this is way too fun. Well, Justin on Facebook, common question: You find yourself, you know, you get lost in Dothraki territory. You want to know where is the bathroom? <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I know how I want to translate that. I <laughs> just just give me a second. <laughs> okay, here we go. So where is the bathroom? I would translate that this way. Finne Anhalasnavik. 
And that means, where can I piss? Amazing. I, I, this could go on forever. How can people learn Dothraki on themselves? Where are these resources online? Okay, well, there are a couple of resources. One, there's a, there's a, small, a small but burgeoning fan community over at Dothraki.org. Um, and they have a forum uh, you know, where people can ask questions about stuff. Um, and then, but they've also put up a wiki that they, where they've tried to collect kind of everything about Dothraki. There's a, there's a pretty large uh, dictionary there. Um, and then there's also like uh, just uh, sections on grammar, you know, how to conjugate verbs, how to decline nouns. Um, and they've also started uh, putting together a few, um, they're, they're putting together a kind of a few exercises. Uh, if you go to YouTube and you try and you type in Dothraki, uh, you type in Dothraki tutorial, there's a guy, I have no idea who this guy is, um, but he, is, uh, he has created uh, three tutorials on Dothraki, um, and they're all good. Um, there's there's the, the very last one, he made one slight mistake in misinterpreting what, uh, the, um, what the root was. And it makes sense, the, if you know Dothraki, it makes sense the error it was made, it's no big deal. But um, uh, his, his little videos, I think, are some of the best I've seen. They're very straightforward to the point and just kind of like white text on a blue background. So you can look at that. Uh, and then also I have a blog, Dothraki.com, uh, where I kind of just go over just points of grammar or kind of uh, look at uh, fun stuff that people in the community are doing. Like uh, I, I sponsored a, a miniature uh, haiku Dothraki writing contest uh, just a, a, a couple weeks ago. Um, and they wrote and they put together some fun uh, haiku in Dothraki. This is all based on uh, a radio interview I did in South Africa where they asked me, and I only had like three minutes to do this. Uh, they first asked me, can you write a haiku in English? Because our topic today is haikus. And so, okay, I, am, I thought that was a little strange. I asked if they wanted Dothraki or English, and he said English. And so, you know, I wrote one, and I'll write a haiku. Then he calls back like three minutes before the interview is supposed to go live. Uh, and he says, oh, actually, I made a mistake. We wanted it in Dothraki. Do you think you could do that? <laughs> and so I put together a Dothraki haiku in like three minutes <laughs> before I got a phone call and I had to do the interview. And so I thought, uh, you know, it's a pretty easy form. And so they kind of had fun creating Dothraki haiku. Anyway, so, you know, we do uh, kind of fun stuff like that. It's good to know there's Dothraki poetry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose there should be. <laughs> Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. This was this was so much fun. I, this was this was an absolute blast talking to you. And and this is, I think, uh, something that people watch the show, and maybe even if they don't know, they're appreciating. It's that attention to detail that made that show uh, such a phenomenon and so good. And I think is why people are so excited about season two. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Just one thing I would like to plug. First, I uh, I am going to be attending the Southwest Texas American and Popular Cultural. 33rd annual conference. Uh, it's being held in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and I'm giving, a, a, well, I'm giving a talk during the conference, but I'm also giving a talk on February 10th that's going to be open to the public, um, kind of on Dothraki. And I'm going to talk about uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff that I did while I was working on the show and, and introduce a, the, the language a little bit. Um, and we're also going to air an episode from season one of Game of Thrones. Um, and it's, uh, it's going to be $10, but all the proceeds go to the local branch of the American Cancer Society. That sounds great. I'd love to, I'd love to go hear about those things. 
thank you again so much for being on the show, Dave. This was great. All right. Can you do those plugs again in Dothraki? <laughs> uh, give me a week and I'll do it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot. Okay, I know why everyone's still listening to the show, and it's not to find out what my Twitter account is. You guys want to know about that fake language from Land of the Lost. Did some research, of course. There are two versions of Land of the Lost. The original one is from the mid-70s, and the remake was from the early 90s. The language, Paku, which David talked about, was from the original version of the show, and it was spoken by the caveman-like Pakuni, not the reptilian Sleestack, as I had suggested. Glad we got to the bottom of that. I tried to figure out if they also used the language in the 90s version of the show. Couldn't come up with anything, but I did find an article about the big-budget Land of the Lost movie that came out and bombed a few years ago starring Will Ferrell. In that movie, Yorma, from The Lonely Island, from Saturday Night Live, played Chaka, the main Pakuni, and according to this article, Yorma, quote, learned the 300 odd words and speaks them, although the script calls for him to only grunt or jimmer. Yorma said that even though the character uh, Anna, who I guess is some sort of translator, uh, translated most of his dialogue, that he would, quote, go back to the Pakuni dictionary and make up sentences that go with her translations. What Anna translates is much more eloquent than what I am saying, but I am definitely trying to speak it correctly. And in the article, Yorma then jokes that he went to all that trouble for, quote, the five people out there who will notice. This was before the movie came out, before Yorma knew that only five people were going to see the movie total. Somewhat tragic, but an interesting history of another created language. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Uh, as you can see from this episode, pays, you want your phrases translated to Dothraki, it pays to follow me on Twitter and on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at Jeff Rubin Show. There's a Facebook fan page. There's YouTube.com slash Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. There's a Tumblr, Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin.com. Sometimes over the weekends as I'm putting these episodes together, I, for 30 minutes or so, will put up a preview episode of next week's episode. So definitely go to all those things and spend your life listening to me. Thank you. I'm going to stop talking. Bye.